Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Buck Off Podcast with Lane Grant. Hosted by Christopher Rennie and joined by Jordan Williams. Welcome in, Buckeye Nation. This is your host, Christopher Rennie, bringing you another episode of the Buck Off Podcast. Now with Land Grand Holy Land, and we're getting ready for the college football season. Finally, when this show releases, we will be less than a week from game day. Thursday, Ohio State is taking on Minnesota on the road at Minnesota. And I'm here with Jordan Williams today, as always. How are you doing today, Jordan? Man, I'm doing great. I mean, there's going to be football this weekend. Uh, regardless of how you feel about it, the week zero games and whatever, there's going to be real football this weekend. The Classic for Columbus is this weekend and a week from today. Uh, and what, a couple of days after this episode drops, we'll have Ohio State football. I mean, again, I can't do no better than this. Yeah, honestly, I think we're living our best life. I know we've been kind of living in that off-season content void, and we we hope we felt we filled it up pretty well for you guys. We had a lot of fun. I mean, the college football news cycle is for sure the news cycle that always just keeps on giving. So we definitely had stuff to talk about throughout the year, and that is not any less this week. Uh, we've got the Alliance conversation. We've got Minnesota next week. We've got Quite a bit of stuff we want to go through, especially with Ohio State's roster going into the season. Uh, there's just conversations that still need to be had and some T's and I's that need to be crossed and dotted. So I'm excited to jump into the show today with you, Jordan. Uh, yeah, so let's get into it. So I guess the first topic I wanted to get into today. Uh, yeah, and the thing I wanted to talk about with you today, Jordan, was kind of just the final outlook of the roster, the depth chart for Ohio State going into the Minnesota game. I, I, I have my notes down on kind of where I see everything lining up. I kind of wanted to run through a couple position groups, kind of see where you stand on them, what we're looking like for starters. I think there's some positions where it's very locked in. We could talk about the depth a little bit. So, yeah, I guess, I mean, we could either do this position by position unless there's just some specific positions you want to look at. No, I think um, I think maybe we can start with the ones that we know are locked down uh, and then, you know, maybe get into some of the other ones. Yeah, I got you. All right. I mean, might as well start with the quarterbacks then at this point, because we know who's starting. It's official. Uh, C.J. Stroud is QB1 for the Ohio State Buckeyes. Uh, I don't think there's a question about it at this point. Uh 
going into this week. I, I'm excited. I think Stroud getting the last week and a half to prepare as a starter, get really acclimated with the ones is going to be absolutely huge going into the Minnesota game. I know for most of the offseason, a lot of people had said he had separated himself. Uh, then there'd be some reports that said McCord's closing the gap a little bit. Uh, Miller had a really good day of practice every once in a while. Not saying that was just a story. He's not saying Miller didn't practice well this whole offseason. But Stroud ran away with it at the end. And going into the game, I think that week and a half is going to be absolutely vital. No, I agree 100 percent. And I want to say, you know, because we talk a lot about coaching and, you know, I think as a fan, but especially as a faux media member, whatever we classify ourselves as, you know, you have to be critical of coaches because they get paid millions of dollars to do their job. And so I think you also have to be complimentary at times. And I think, you know, we need to compliment Ryan Day for how he handled this. He stayed true to it. He set a date. And really, you know, while he didn't, you know, announce to the media like, hey, our two-week mark hit. He did a fake announcement in a sense by saying that, you know, Stroud was pulling away. So maybe it went, you know, the three weeks instead of the two that he had originally stated. But I think after the two weeks, he knew. And so I think it was really good that he, you know, he set a timeline. He stuck with it, told the quarterbacks, told the media, like you said, given that two or three weeks or whatever to prepare for the Minnesota game. You know, again, you know, we've already mentioned it multiple times, but we saw how that negatively impacted us. But also not just Ohio State. You see how that negatively impacts quarterback battles everywhere. So, you know, shout out to C.J. Stroud for locking down the job because, you know, whether we felt like he was going to win it or not, he still had to earn it. And shout out to Ryan Day for, like, sticking to his guns and not dragging this out until, like, week five of the regular season. Yeah, I think a good point you made was that He made the decision. It's a tough decision. Obviously, there's a lot of egos in the room, but there's a lot of youth in the room as well. So they still do have time to make decisions for their careers after this. They have time to develop. And, you know, regardless of everything that happens, you still have to stay ready for Saturdays uh, because it's a a sport. It's anything can happen at any time. Uh, If you're McCord, if you're Miller, you just have to be ready for that opportunity when it calls your name and then you get a show out. Uh, But I guess the other point you brought up was this has affected a lot of teams in the past, uh, dragging out quarterback battles. Ohio State most recently with Cardell Jones and JT Barrett. It was absolutely disastrous how that was mismanaged. If you have a quarterback who executes in the red zone, I'm going to let you guys know that's the hardest place to execute on the field. He could execute the other 60 yards on the field between the 20s. So, uh, that that was the issue with JT Barrett. What Ryan Day has done well is limit expectations, uh, explained his reasoning very well. He's always been very clear about why he makes a decision. And uh, as the team was kind of alluding to a lot of the offseason, Stroud kind of ended up just becoming the guy they thought he was going to be. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, that's not surprising. And I think that's encouraging, you know. When you look at Stroud, some reports had him as a five-star. Other ones had him as a high four-star. Everyone expected him to really come in and do this. This is why in that quarterback class with Jack Miller, they went and got another quarterback and someone as talented and as gifted as him. So this is really what you wanted. I mean, he's second year in the program. Unfortunately, the pandemic may have stunted some growth, but no matter how good 
Kyle McCord was, no matter how good that was, you don't want a freshman starting. And so this was really Stroud's job to lose. And he, like I said, deserves credit for going out and winning, becoming a leader, developing, taking the time with the team, learning the playbook, all of that kind of stuff, all the things that he he's done that we know about and that we don't know about. And now he gets a chance to, you know, be what top three, top five, most recognizable faces in college football. I mean, yeah, for sure. There's not many people more recognizable than the quarterback at Ohio State. Yep, and we have to remember, Ryan Day did not call this an achievement. He did not call this an award. He called it an opportunity. Yeah. So uh, that's obviously, good the, that's good coaching. The jury is always going to be out until he's graduated and off to the NFL. That's kind of how it should be with a quarterback coach. Uh, but yeah, moving forward, I think the next locked in position for us uh, is wide receiver. I think the three starters are Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, and Jackson Smith and Jigba. I don't think there's been any really dis, uh, dissuading opinions there. I think every single one of those players was assumed to become the starter this year, and I think it played out that way. I think depth-wise, you're going to have Marvin Harrison Jr. You're going to have Julian Fleming. You're going to have Amike Buka behind those three. Uh, and then, you know, I, I think you got to give some shout-outs to some other guys. I don't think those will be the only six who play, but I think those are the six who are going to get the primary run for the Buckeyes this year. Yeah, I think I, I agree with that 100%. Um, the one thing that's going to be interesting for me, especially watching the wide receivers, is one, I just want to see what Marvin Harrison you know, Jr. does because there's been so much buzz around him. But I also want to see who the third best receiver is. And maybe not talent-wise, that's hard to tell, but like statistically, you know, you, I think it's going to be assumed that it's Jackson Smith and Jigba. But, you know, maybe he's the third starter because, you know, Julian F- Fleming can't play in the slot. But Julian Fleming's the better wide receiver. Like, you know, you don't know these kind of things. So yeah. I'm going to be excited to see, you know, how the playing time is actually distributed and who really makes those um, – who really makes those – big plays because I don't see this offense being like it was last year where, you know, Justin Fields threw to two guys, but he threw yeah, to two guys the because of their talent. Yes. But I think he threw to them because there was no one else. You know what I mean? Like all of this senior leadership had gone and then we had all the young guys who are going into their second year now, but I don't think they were really ready. So I think this is going to be more of a spread out. You know, I think there's going to be, you know, three, four, five guys who get 25 plus catches. And so I want to see who that third receiver ends up being and who really gets to make those big plays. Yeah. And I I think if I had to pick one from the group of younger guys, that isn't the three that I named as the starters, I'd probably give it to probably a, probably a Mika Buka. I just think he's one of those guys who's just absolutely smooth. He seems like one of those guys who could be a high volume receiver already. And I know Julian Fleming was battling an injury last year, but I think Ohio State, with his athleticism, his size, I saw in an interview in uh, Brian Hartline's presser today, uh, he was calling him, he's moving like a freight train. Like, as a wide receiver, as a defensive back, that's absolutely horrifying for a receiver coach to be saying that. Because receiver coaches don't hand that title out. They don't say their receivers are running like that unless they've earned it. You know receivers, they're small guys. Yeah, no, for sure. And I think something that was missed with Julian Finley is that, he, he, you know, while he was the best wide receiver in the class, uh, in the in the nation, he needed the most um, 
he needed the most refinement and adjustment because he didn't play in that type of offense. You know, where some of the other guys, especially the ones coming from Texas, uh, they played in these more style of offenses and they played against better competition. And it didn't help. Like you had already mentioned that Julian Fleming, you know, got injured. So there's still a chance that of the young group, Julian Fleming is still the best one. And maybe he's not. But there's, in my opinion, there's no way that Jackson Smith and Jigba, Julian Fleming, Marvin Harrison, there's no way any of them are flops. Uh, and that's what's exciting to me. And that's why I want to see because, you know, we know we're going to lose Chris Olave. We know we're going to lose Jeremy Record, and we know we're going to lose Garrett Wilson. So I think this is going to give us the insight of, like, who's going to be wide receiver number one next year. And I think someone should make that claim this year. If they don't, we should be yeah, on Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I think that's that's a fair point because these guys are gone this year. Olave is not going to use another year of eligibility to stay. Garrett Wilson is going to be a top 15 pick in the draft if he continues to play at his level. This is an opportunity for the rest of them to anoint themselves the alpha of the draft next year, of the, of the offense next year from a receiver yep. standpoint. And you can't take away that opportunity because – like I said, I know you and I both know all of these guys are going to get meaningful reps. So there's yeah. going to be a lot more games this year. We've already said multiple times that we think uh, the team with the COVID year didn't get to rotate as many guys as they wanted. So I think this year is going to be a big opportunity for that. And I think all these guys are going to have a lot of meaningful reps, a lot of meaningful catches. No, I agree. I'm, I'm, I'm it's going to. The last thing I have to say on the receivers is going to be interesting how many they play with so many talented receivers and not wanting them to transfer. And I mean, how many they play when the game is on the line, right? You know, when we play Akron and Tulsa and stuff, they might go 10 deep, but like in like an Oregon game or, you know, later in the season against Penn State and Indiana, do they get to six? Do they get to seven or eight? Like who's trustworthy in those games to get snaps? Uh, That's going to be another thing that is going to be really interesting to watch. Yeah, I'll say a lot about next year's outlook, too, is how much Ryan Day and Brian Hartline trust just throwing guys out there. Because, I mean, it'd be hard not to trust the two leaders in the clubhouse, Wilson and Olave. But the more they trust, if they get six more guys in the rotation regularly, and obviously we want Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave to chase all the awards, all the records, so we want them to get the high volume they deserve. But, I mean, there's going to be some games where there's opportunity to get young guys snaps, and that's that's what we need to take advantage of this year no 1000 percent. uh so yeah I, I think there's uh there's not i mean the offensive line is a little complex just because all the positional movement but i do think it's pretty safe to say there's only one sort of battle left and it's not really a battle it's kind of just how they want to align the offensive line uh so i've got on my list nicholas petit friere at left tackle starting the left guards there munford centers harry miller uh, the right guards, Paris Johnson Jr., and the right tackles, Dewan Jones. Yep, and I think, um, I think the you know at this point, I'm not even sure if it's a battle anymore. I think Matthew. I think it's almost safe to say that Matthew Jones is probably the first, uh, yeah, lineman in the game. You know, like because he can play center and guard. He's probably the next man up. Like he's that 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 six man for the offense. Yeah, for sure. And especially if one of the tackles goes down, because I think that would move Munford back outside to one of those positions. Yeah. Rather than, uh, and then you'd move Matt Jones into guard if he's your sixth best offensive lineman. Yeah. 
That's how 100%. I see that playing out. I could see that. That I think that oh. may be a little bit. That's a tough transition to do that, like in between games. But Thayer yeah. Munford is talented enough and smart enough to do it. So he's a four-year starter. Yeah. So like, I, I think that's why I think a stud would feel comfortable doing. It. Like he felt comfortable moving him inside in his last year. Exactly. So I think that's it. Uh, Harry Miller. I think uh, from all the buzz I've been seeing is sort of locked down the job a little bit. Uh, I believe it's Josh Fryer who's still pushing him, or Luke Whipler. I always mix those two up. Uh, and then Didn't depth it, wise, I think it's oh, Luke, Luke Whipler. I yeah, feel I think like right. I feel like I, I saw something Whippler. where they talked about Josh Fryer being the second team to tackle, like okay, they moved him outside. Right. Yeah, because I was just kind of doing this from memory, and I always confuse those guys when I'm not looking at the roster. So, uh, yeah, so I think Luke Whipler's the backup center. Uh, Donovan Jackson, Enoch Vihami, I have as an or at right guard. And then I have Luke Whippler, or not Luke Whippler, Josh Fryer at right tackle yep. as a backup to DeWan Jones. Yep, I, I think that's right. I do think what's going to be interesting, I do think it's Matthew Jones's job, but depending on, you know, if there's injuries and how deep into the season, if it becomes uh, – Donovan Jackson's job. Because that's the thing that, you know, some people forget or don't realize. Some of these position battles, well, not even some, all of them, especially the backups, they go all the way throughout the season because it's not an immediate thing. So, you know, who your backup is against Minnesota may not be who your backup is against Indiana. Um, Same with some starters. Um, I think one of the main ones is going to be running back once we get to that one. You know, I think we all know who's probably going to take the first carry, but who's going to be the running back down the stretch, I think is the more important question. So it's going to be interesting to see how quickly Donovan Jackson comes up and if he can supplant, you know, Matthew Jones into the sixth man. But even even if not, he's still probably number seven, which means he's going to play. We already, I think we already talked about it on this show. The, the top, you know, eight, eight to ten guys on the offensive line, they get in. Yeah, for sure. And I, I know you brought up Donovan Jackson. I, I think Munford's going to be gone. Petit Friere should be gone. Uh, so that's two spots open. I think, uh, obviously, Johnson Jr., Paris Johnson Jr. is going to move outside. That's the plan. That's been the plan the whole time. Is Harry, so it'll be, is Harry Miller going to be gone? Is he uh, eligible? I, I, I don't think so. And I don't think, he, I don't think he'll play himself into that this year either. So uh, next I, year we're looking at Paris Johnson left tackle. Yeah, Paris Johnson left tackle, left guard open, Harry Miller center, uh, right guard probably a battle between is open uh, because Paris Johnson will move out one way, and, and then, then right tackles Dewan Jones. Dewan Jones, yeah. I think it's safe to say you know it doesn't. I don't know if it matters this side, but it's probably going to be Matthew Jones and Donovan Jackson. Yeah, and then so Luke Whipler becomes the sixth man who can rotate in yeah. at center and guard if Harry Miller doesn't leave. Is Harry Miller that young? Yeah, he was a. I believe he was a freshman last year. Man, he seems old. He carries himself yeah. like he's like an old wise man, and that's a compliment. But like, yeah, yeah he is that young, so he's not Let's eligible. Fact, I'm gonna fact check this real quick, just so we don't get people in our mentions again saying we don't know anything about Ohio State. That was a diss at you guys, the audience here uh, from Georgia. Let's see, it's pulling up. Oh, he's going to be a junior. All right. All right. Okay. So, yes. That's what I was thinking. I mean, still. I, I still. Extra year of eligibility. Yeah. I don't think he's going to leave this year. Offensive I, I, offensive line is a hard one to be three and out anyway. Most people stay yeah. for that extra development. Um, Especially in the interior. 
And it'll be two years starting at center because he has one iffy year at guard. So he probably is going to want that set like two really good years to increase his draft stock. So I think, you know, I think, yeah, left tackle, Paris Johnson, you know, left or right guard, Donovan Jackson and Matthew Jones. Um, Yeah. Harry Miller at center and Dewan Jones is probably going to stay right tackle. Yeah, plus I think one thing with Harry Miller and with his development moving forward is one of his biggest issues his first year starting was strength, just general functional strength. And if that's an issue, you could work on that in college better than getting exposed in the pros. Oh, 100%. Because when you're going up against Aaron Donald, you need to have that strength already. Yeah. And, yeah, we don't want him to get flattened immediately. So, yeah, Uh, the next positions I think we could lock in – I've got the DN positions, uh, Tyreek Smith, Zach Harrison starters. Defensive tackle, I've got Haskell Garrett. Nose tackle, I've got Antoine Jackson or Jerron Cage. I, I'm not sure who's there, but I think they're going to play an equal amount at the interior. Yeah. And then I have Teron Vincent as the backup defensive tackle behind Haskell Garrett, which is if Teron Vincent can return to his – like what he's expected to be with his recruiting ranking, that could be a scary one-two punch. Can you imagine being an offensive guard and being like, sweet, we finally got Haskell Garrett out of the game just to have another five-star freak athlete that's around 300 pounds? Yeah, and I really think it's 1A, 1B. You know, Haskell Garrett was really good last year, but, you know, there's truth to just injuries holding people back. And so I really think it's, you know, 1A, 1B. And, you know, and to the point that Ohio State has talked about that they've cross-trained them to try to get them on the field. So they may get on the field together and some um, Rushman packages and things like that. So I think, you know, our defensive line is going to be very strong, um, especially if Antoine Jackson – if if you can get that nose tackle position solid, and I think we will, it's just you know. Yeah. But the other thing with nose tackle in particular is while I think that Jaron Cage and Antoine Jackson are going to be good, if they're not, we have some depth. Um, yeah, like I think I think what is it? I think Mike Hall. Um, Mike Hall's the, the guy who came in. He's yeah. going to he's going to play his way onto the field. Um, from everything that you know we've heard and seen about him, and he was a little underrated um, just because of where he was at and the position that he plays. He's I think he's going to play his way onto the field. So I, I'm fully confident in the two that we have. But if something happens with them, I'm also pretty confident in the depth, um, at least for yes. this year. Yeah, and I think uh, I think when I look at the defensive line. You know, the defense ends, We the Buckeyes lost Tyler Friday uh, already. Or no, the, and so they have Javante Jean-Baptiste as one of the backups. I've got J.J. Swamaleu, uh, uh, Jean-Baptiste. Yeah, they said he added 15 pounds. Yeah, so I've got him as a backup with an or with two Amaleu. So I have him as the or. And then I have Jack Sawyer as a true backup to Tyreek Smith after yeah. Tyler Friday got hurt. Yeah, I think um, I think it's John Baptiste uh, from everything that we've heard. I do think JTT is the fifth guy. Um, yeah, but that's another one for how long? You know what I mean? I, I do yeah. think he still has some slight disadvantage. And one thing that one thing that comes into play with games that they've said about him is when he knows what he's doing, he's unstoppable. But there are still lapse lapses in him not knowing what he's going to do. Like you know, he hasn't learned the full defense, which is. Fair. He hasn't been there that long. So I think at least in the beginning of the season, he's the fifth guy. Um, he's still going to play. But I think, you know, John Baptiste and Jack Sawyer are firmly the backups. But again, 
after that bye week by Indiana, by Penn State, is that the same thing? That I think that's a totally different um, yeah. conversation. But yeah, I think I think we've got two entrenched starters there. I don't think Sawyer Tuamale can do anything to get into the starting lineup with Smith or Harrison, because uh, I think those guys are going to be absolutely uh, insane this year. I think we have a chance at both of them getting eight sacks. Uh, I think that's a good over under mark to set for both of them. I think they both can be that effective of pass rushers. And I think this year is a year where we could honestly see a legitimate rushman package if Tuamaleo and Sawyer develop into these absolutely dangerous pass rushers. Because I think those four guys pass rushing on a third and 12 would be absolutely horrifying. It's Honestly, it's just unfair. It's unfair for anyone that has to play them. I'm very excited about it. And one thing I want to point out, because I think we were very critical of the pass rush last year, is they got a lot of pressure. They just didn't finish it. And one thing that Zach Harrison was talking about is he spent a lot of time working on his technique. Both of uh, you know, all of them did. And like watching a lot of video. And and one of the things that he said to kind of summarize his quote is he said, you know, maybe maybe when we are flipping our hips, we crossed our feet and we lost 0.2 seconds. And those are 0.2 seconds that you need to sack the quarterback. Um, Our pass rush wasn't bad. It just didn't do it. Didn't get the job done, you know. Chase Young, Nick Bosa, Joey Bosa, you know, um, Jonathan Cooper, all of them, they actually got the sacks. Um, and at times, pressure's not enough. So I think it's I think it's easier for me to believe that we're going to make that jump because it would be different if we weren't getting pressure and then someone was like, yeah, they're going to start getting a bunch of sacks. But it's like, no, they were around the quarterback last year. They, they were just, you know, half a second too slow. And if you tell yeah. me – after getting bigger, stronger, a full offseason, another year with the greatest defensive line coach ever, that they're going to fix that little half a second. I fully believe that. Yeah, and I, I think last year there were moments where our defensive line was absolutely dominant. Like there were like the Clemson game, our defensive line played at such a high level throughout the entirety of that football game that I, I thought we could beat anybody in the world when they were fully together. And then obviously they didn't have Tommy T. And they didn't have Tyreek in the national championship game, so that threw a wrench in those opportunities. But uh, it, it's it's a group for sure, and I, I think this is a very – if you look at all the recruiting rankings, if you look at all the names in there, it is a group with a high pedigree, and it's a group that we should expect nothing but the best from. Uh, yeah, 100%. And luckily, defensive line is a position where you can have a breakout year. We see it yeah. every year. There's always – I mean – it just happened at Miami. Um, it happened at Georgia with Oz's Ojolari. Like a lot of pass rushers, you know, one of the things with Ohio State is it's great. It's like we have guys who have two or three good years, but in most cases, it's one good year and off to the league. Uh, and yeah. if we get one good year from Zach Harrison, or we get one, you know, good is the wrong word. Let's say great because Zach Harrison yeah. has been good. One great year. If we get one great year from Zach Harrison, where he gets ten sacks, we get a great year from. Um, Tyreek Smith, where he gets eight eight to ten sacks. I mean, that's all you need. It is. And I think when you look at the interior, I, I, this is the most excited I've been for the interior offensive line or defensive line in a long time. I think just reading the names, I think it's just a good group of guys that I trust. No, I agree. And I think one of the things that is slightly different about this year 
is we have a and was slightly true. Actually, not slightly. It was true last year is we have a chance to be dominant. A lot of times our defensive line is service. Our interior defensive line is service. we talked about that, right? How we spend all of our equity on the edge and we just need guys who can eat up some blocks. And last year with Tommy and uh, Haskell, they were dominant. They were the ones getting the pressure. They were the ones getting the sacks. And so I think we have another chance of being dominant in the middle um, instead of kind of acceptable. Uh, and I don't know if that's, if that's the wrong thing to say or if that's, you know, negative, but we like, we haven't had a Quinn and Williams. Like we haven't had a dominant person. Interior. And, and I'm not sure that line. we have a dominant one now, but I think we have a dominant group and that together, yeah. I think that they can really um, change the outcome of the game by themselves, which is also going to make it easier on the edge guys. Yeah, and I mean, this is always, this is always, this kind of rubs Buckeye fans the wrong way when we bring up Clemson and we bring up Alabama as a comparison on why Ohio State hasn't had the same like level of success. And when Ohio State got beat thirty-one to zero, Clemson had one of the most elite interior defensive lines the country's ever seen. They had elite edge players as well. So when you have the combination, it is really hard to run an offense when you have guys like Quinn and Williams when you guys have those guys on Alabama and you have depth at those positions, it is horrifying for the offense on other teams. I I agree. And the one thing that I'll say is I don't think that's a negative thing. I think that's a philosophy thing because Alabama doesn't have great um, edge rushers. They never have great edge rushers. They have great defensive tackles and they have great outside linebackers. Um, you know, Alabama doesn't have a 10 sack guy on the edge. Um, but and so I don't think I say that in saying it's fine that Ohio State doesn't have that. It's just that there is a level, you know, there's a couple of levels in between and we just need them to be a level or two up. You know, they don't yeah. have to be they don't have to be Quinn Williams. They don't like, you know, it'd be great, but you're not going to have top five picks everywhere. Um, but if we can start getting defensive tackles who are second and third round picks instead of fifth and sixth round picks, that upgrades the defense. Could be monumental. And I think that, honestly, that's the last position. I, I Those positions are the last ones I'm 100% sure about. So we've got a few more to get through. We've got the defensive backs. I think we'll group them into one. We've got the linebackers. Uh, put the bullet in there. Don't really know what to do with them. Uh, I think they're linebackers, but they practice with the TVs a lot. And then running backs. So let's, get, let's go back to the offensive side of the ball. Let's get with the running backs. I don't think this will be a long one because I think there's a definitive – seniority level and i think there's a definitive talent differential and i think all three are going to play a pivotal role in the order they get on the field uh the one thing and as talented as travion henderson is as a running back and this is why i think he's going to get on the field a little bit later than people hope is master teague is an elite pass protector i i think that's something you can't take away from him he's a good running back he will know his assignment he'll get the job done Mayan Williams, I think, is going to be the number one to start the year. And then I think Travion Henderson will develop the pass protection and the passing game acumen to really take on more roles. And I I, I want your take on that. I don't disagree, but I will say this. um, Master Teague not being your third running back is an Urban Meyer decision. Um, And for... 
us to, you know, reach the level that I want them to reach of national championship, he needs to be the third running back. If you want to put him in there on straight passing downs to block, great. If you want to use him in the red zone and short yardage, perfect. That's how he should be used. But if he's getting the bulk of any carries, I think it limits our offense. Um, I think it has to be Mayan Williams. I don't even think it. Ha- I don't even think it has to be Travion Henderson. I think Travion Henderson is inevitable because of how good he is. But Mayan Williams also um, provides an electricity to the offense that I think we can work with. Master Teague is not electric, and and that's the issue. Um, and you need that, especially in Big Ten football. Um, Master Teague has a place. He is very good. I even think there's a chance that, you know, maybe he gets drafted late because there is a purpose for a running back like him. Um but I think he limits our offensive potential. And I think we saw that last year, um, which is why we, you know, struggled on offense here and there until Trey Sermon, you know, clicked. And then in the national championship game, when we didn't have Trey Sermon, we couldn't run the ball. Um, yeah. I think it's, I think Master Teague has showed us his limits. And so if he's not supplanted, I think. It's not because of talent. I think it's out of stubbornness. And I don't mean that to be negative because I like Master Teague. Um, and I think he, you know, he serves a role. And if I was the coach and I was being paid millions, Master Teague would lead the team in rushing touchdowns because once we got inside the 20, he would be the back or he, I would use him in like a, a split back kind of role, two back, something like that. I just think he limits us. And I think I feel comfortable saying that because I watched him as the starter last year and I watched how that affected the offense. And I saw the difference when we lost Trey Sermon in the national championship. Yeah, and I think I think you brought it up. I think we both talked about this. Uh, Master Teague was kind of he's a throwback running back. He he's big. He's like Jamal Lewis. He's like those big running backs from the early two thousands who are just absolute like bodybuilder type muscle heads. And as much as he looks the part, he looks like any running back you dream of having. Uh, he doesn't have that elusiveness to make that second third guy miss. You know. That's one thing, albeit in a small sample size, Mayan Williams showed a great ability to do is make that second, third guy miss. He takes seven or eight guys to bring him down every time. The low center of gravity gives him this balance. And Travion Henderson's the same way in a lot of ways. He's not the tallest. He's kind of built more like J.K. Dobbins, where he's a little shorter, a little thicker in the legs, a little trunkier. Uh, There's a reason Ohio State recruits that body type of running back. It's because it's very uh, malleable. You could teach it to be a lot of different types of things. Uh, what you can't do with Master Teague is make him a horizontal runner. You can't make him mm-hmm. a guy who could consistently run outside zone and create the lanes, create the uh, cuts upfield. He can't do that as well as the other guys. He's a straight downhill runner, and when he hits that first cut, sometimes he could get going and break one off, but – you need those guys who can make hard cuts. You need those guys who can do that. And I hope he proves me wrong this year. Like, that would be the dream. We have three unbelievable running backs. That's the dream. Because he yeah. was coming off an Achilles injury. So, I do give him a little benefit there. But we also saw him before that. Same limitations. We saw it against Clemson when we lost. Yeah, I mean, my thing is, and that's the thing I want to clarify. This is not negative. Players have types, right? Like, it's not negative to say that Zach Harrison's not Chase Young. You know what I mean? But 
players have types and offenses have types and they have players who work better in the offense. And you're focusing on the second and third guy. I'm focusing on the first guy. Master Teague will take every single yard that the offensive line gives him. But what made what made, you know, JK special? What made Zeke special? What made, you know, Najee Harris for, you know, uh, Alabama special is that if the offensive line couldn't block someone, they could make the first guy miss. Exactly. They could make their own yardage. Um, and that's what you need to get to an elite level. You know what I mean? You can have an acceptable running back. And in 14 games, I believe Master T could get seven, eight, nine hundred 900 yards. The difference is he would need the offensive line to generate almost all of those yards, whereas Mayan Williams, Travion Henderson, they can make that first guy miss at the line of scrimmage and turn a negative three-yard carry to a five-yard carry, turn a five-yard carry to a 15-yard carry, and a 15-yard carry to a touchdown. And I just don't think that Master Teague has that. Yeah, and I think from what we've seen, you're right. Uh, I I think – these are the three running backs I'm going with right now. I, I don't think anything in camp showed me that Crowley's going to be a guy who gets on the field this year as much as a lot of people would like. And, you know, there's still some youth in uh, the other guys in the room, Evan Pryor and so on. So I, I think that's an interesting room. But I think the most interesting room to this day still, and this is because we really don't know all that much about it. We don't know the plan for it. It's the linebackers. So yeah. I, I mean, right? So I've got I've got four positions written down. I've got a traditional Sam, uh, Mike, a Will. Mike and Will are going to be on the field at all times. So that's how I kind of did it. When we play a team where we need three true linebacker body types, I've got the Sam there just in case. And then I've got the Bullet. Uh, I, I I think there's those are the four positions. I think all four of them have a place on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, I'm intrigued, though. I'm intrigued to see how much they utilize the bullet or this the big safety. I think because they finally have the body type for it, as you can see in the recruitment, I think we run a four two five um, most of the time, especially because uh, you know who in the Big Ten is going to force you to play three linebackers? Wisconsin, who we will play, who we don't have on the schedule. Um, um, let me actually just pull up the schedule so I'm not just saying any, teams that they're not going to play. Any team with a fullback would be the only time you'd really rely on three linebackers. I mean, And even mm, then, I've got mm. Ronnie Hickman and Craig Young, and both those guys could still play a more Sam-type linebacker. That's what I was going to ask because I think Craig Young is going to be the – he's the bigger bullet. I wonder if they go th- like three straight linebackers, if they just mo- put Craig Young there. Craig Young. Um, but looking at their schedule, there's really no team that they play that's going to require them to have three linebackers all the time. Minnesota's not. Oregon's definitely not. I don't know what Toss's offense looks like, but I highly they doubt won't. they have you know, a bunch of tight ends. Akron's not. Rutgers is not. Maryland's definitely not. Nope. Indiana, occasionally, but no. Penn State, no. Nebraska, no. Purdue, no. Nope. Michigan State, Occasionally, Michigan. No, does Michigan even have a tight end? Uh, they do a lot I mean, of I know pro they style have stuff one, still, but like, so they they will use a fullback. But I, I think I, so I think Michigan occasionally reason, too. Yeah, the only reason I have it down that way is because I know Coombs and the and out Washington and Matt Barnes have all sort of alluded to the idea that 
Uh, it's going to be extremely matchup based. Mm-hmm. So uh, they have eight guys who can play. They're going to play whatever of that combination of those eight guys provides the best matchups for them. So if there's yeah. a good slot receiver, we're going to see a lot more bullet. If they don't have a guy who can kill us in the slot, maybe you see a Cody Simon on the field with the Taraja Mitchell Dallas Gant type, you know, so well, you get I three think, bigger bodies. I think Cody Simon's the starter. Yeah. So, I mean, regardless of how we look at it, because I've got Simon and Mitchell as my two starters. I've got Dallas yeah. Gant, and then I have the backups, Craig Young, Kevon Pope, and then a few other guys just kind of listed throughout. That is through on the paper. Yeah, if I had to guess the order of which they come on the field, um, I'm saying Simon and Mitchell. Um, and then I think Craig Young starts at the bullet. I think if they play a traditional three linebacker, I think Craig Young starts at Sam two. Um, and then Kayvon Pope is that third or fourth linebacker off, no matter how you, however you want to look at it. And yeah. then Ronnie Hickman. So if you're counting all of those as linebackers, I think the ones we see the most is Mitchell, uh, Simon, Hickman, Young, and Pope. Um, and outside of those five, I'm not sure who else really plays, especially because uh, Gaio, uh, Gaio Tete, am yeah, I saying that Gaio right? Gaio Tete. Yeah. Tete uh, hasn't received his eligibility yet. Otherwise, I yeah. think he would be there too. Um, selfishly, and this is very selfish because what he's going through is very um, – it interferes with him as a human and, and personally his life and as a as a student athlete. I think if they do have to redshirt him, um, that helps for the future because we're going to lose a lot of these guys. And I do think he still has – he came with two years of eligibility. Um, but you never want to wish that on anyone because that's just unfortunate as a life circumstance. Like he's going yeah. through a lot. Uh, I, I Honestly, I feel bad even saying that. Um yeah, but, I I think the Gattiote stuff, it's just an indictment on the NCAA. You know, same problems, different year. Uh, as happy as I am for J.R. Smith getting his eligibility, like J.R. Smith could have afforded to wait to hear. You know. And they've been waiting. Oh, I can't. It's been, uh, it's it's been, been, it's been months. months since he's transferred. It's been months. So uh, I hope we hear before the game. Starts. I don't know how much he's going to be in the plan. I know Ryan Day's really wanted to rotate him in more, but he just can't because he needs guys who are actually going to get game reps in a lot of those team periods. Yeah, and I think the fact that they keep saying that shows that he looks good and and he's probably everything that they expected him to be. And it's just the NCAA. Yeah, as always, that's tough. But I think it's going to be. I think I think we both have come around to this group. I think we both. Are going into the season with faith would be the best way to put it. Yeah, I, I think I said it best the last time. I don't think we have a game changer unless Cody Simon is that. But I don't think we have any holes. And yeah, compa- compared to the Bill Davis era, that is an upgrade. If yeah. they're solid, it's an upgrade. If they're lined up in the right place, it's an upgrade. <laughs> if they're not, yeah. you know, you know, standing at two yards and one step away from getting blocked by, a, you know, the guard, it's an upgrade, and that is fine. Yeah, and then lastly, we've got the defensive backs. Uh, I'll do my one, my ones right now. I've got seven banks, Cam Brown, uh, if healthy, and then Josh Proctor's the true safety, and then I've got Lathan Ransom as the cover safety. Right now, who would replace? Uh, yeah, who'd be that third DB on the field if the bullet wasn't on the field? Is Lathan Ransom replacing Marcus Hooker? Is that what you're saying? 
Yeah. Okay. Oh, I didn't. I didn't put him on there. He blocked me, so he's not on my list. Marcus Hooker, <laughs> or not Marcus Hooker. Uh, Marcus Williamson's not on here because he blocked me. Yeah. Wait. Where is Marcus Williamson going to play? Is he? Because he was in like a weird back. position. Is he a he safety a, or is he a corner? He replaced Sean Wade last year. He did that right. nickel corner that Sean Wade did. So. Uh, so who do you have as the starting nickel? Oh, I have Lathan Ransom. So you have okay. So who do you have starting over Marcus Hooker? Uh, Josh Marcus. Parker. Okay. Am I tripping? Do I? Why do I feel like there were times when Marcus Hooker, Josh Proctor, and Marcus Williamson were all on the field together? There were, and it was terrible. Okay, so I'm not tripping. Okay, you're not. You're not. I was just uh, like, Hooker, I'm trying to like when you're saying it because I agree with I agree with how you have him ranked, but I'm trying to picture the positions and like yeah. who's replacing who because in this in your scenario, which I hope that you're right, Josh Proctor is the only returning starter, and I'm trying to picture. Okay, so who's the so who do you who do you have as the other say? If we play a two safety look, do you have Lathan Ransom? Do you think Lath- they're going to put Lath- Lathan Ransom deep? Yes, I I do. Uh, if we do. Uh, I think so. I have Proctor as the main free safety, and then I have right. Lathan Ransom as his backup. But I also have Lathan Ransom as the cover guy, the cover safety, the nickel corner. The so Sean you Wade think role. that right? But, you, but it, Sean Wade didn't play deep. If they go two deep safeties, yeah, I think Ransom because he he has the safety both? Okay. ability. Yeah, so okay. I think I think that's why I think his versatility gets him in that yeah. nickel corner role earlier, and it helps because him get on the field. That's the one they're going to play more likely because they don't typically yeah. play deep, too deep. Yeah, they, yeah. So they'll have the guy, uh, and plus, like the when you have two guys who are really good at the top, the deep third, uh, it really allows you to like check better. Uh, I remember playing safety; it was nice having another guy who could do the same roles as me, because when I checked down, then I could go and be the robber if they motioned, and you could bring one guy back. And we yeah. can just flip flop rolls instead of having to run all the way across. Right. And it, it just makes things easier that way. Uh, my backup corners behind Banks and Brown are Watts, Burke, and then Hancock and Cavazos. And then Williamson will fit his way in there. I think Williamson plays. Uh, and then I, I, that's it's a, it, there's, it's a deep room. I, I'm excited for it. Now that I understand what positions you actually have people playing, like visually, I agree. I don't have um, – I don't think I would make any changes. Okay. Denzel Burke. Is I just – No, he is pretty just, big. Watson Burke as our backup corners, which one I think they are, that's going to be a big corner group. Um, yeah. Denzel Banks Burke is, is 6'1", 192. Yeah. How big is Ryan Watts? He's Watts huge, is 6'2". Isn't he? Yeah, he's a six two guy. That's what uh, I thought. Looks like Dombey Austin are gonna be huge. for a throwback name there. But yeah, Banks is pretty big. Cam Brown's the smallest guy on there, and he's like six one. He's just really skinny. Well, Legend Kavas is six foot one ninety five. Yeah, that's big for a corner. Yeah. Like. Uh. So yeah, I think it's a good group. I think. I know we we emphasized them a lot on the last show, so we don't need to get too much in detail on the defensive backs, but. I think this is a group that I've grown to be really excited for. And when we get to bold predictions to close out the show, uh, I'm going to be bringing them back up. So, yeah, um, just a question because we didn't yeah. mention him. I don't know if you know where he's going to be at because I sure don't. Uh, um, 
What is your opinion on Cameron Martinez? Do you think he gets in the rotation? I don't think he gets in the rotation this year, like for the main, like for like pivotal significant plays. He plays this year, though. I think he gets on the field. I I just don't know because they haven't really – he hasn't gotten much buzz. He's been a hard guy to track in camp. So I don't know if he's been working as that second cover safety, the nickel guy, or if he's working as a true corner or if he's working as a deep safety. I think he – I would if he's able to do it. I would hope he's the backup deep safety because we don't have one. And he's a ridiculous athlete. Unless we're putting so, Marcus Hooker back there, and we've seen yeah, that. Yeah, and we saw how that went. Ryan Watts uh, is 6'3", 205. Yeah, that's horrifying. And then, oh, yeah, I forgot to mention Court Williams. He's my backup bullet. I think he's a guy who might play a lot more than we think just because uh, he's been coming off an injury. Court Williams, uh, yeah. bullet. Wait, wouldn't he uh, be the third bullet? Isn't yeah, Ronnie Hickman the backup? Yeah, so he'd be my third bullet right now. But, but Ronnie think, Hickman and Craig Young are like 1A, 1B. Yeah, just depending on matchups because Hickman's a little bit more on the DB side, yeah, and Young's a little bit more on the linebacker side. Unless you ask him, because then he's like, "I could run like most of these corners." And they're which they're I love all the going to say that they're. I yeah. mean, if they don't say that, you're like, "Come on now, what are you talking about?" Yeah, if you say you're slow, I'm going to believe it. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, so yeah, I mean, that's got our, our roster breakdown. Uh, that went awesome amount of time. I'm excited. I hope you guys got all the details we went into there. Oh, but yeah, we've got a game to plan for. I think uh, I think we got to get into this now. Uh, Minnesota, the early early scouting report for the game. I know it's a week out uh, when we're recording this. We got uh, eight days from the recording, six days from the release. So I just I know we've both looked at Minnesota. I, I watched the spring game. I'm working on my article for the week. Uh, what what are your early takeaways on this Golden Gophers team? Okay, sorry. I'm gonna answer your question. I have one one more thing one more thing to say about the DBs because I'm going through the, through the roster. I think we have one DB that's not six foot. Who is it? Um, I I scrolled past it. I wasn't looking at names. I, only reason I mean I, I say that is that is you know it is a staple. Like it's finally showing, like it, it's showing what the position is. Um, it, to be up, to go up against what, these these types of receivers, also, it's also showing what Coombs wants. Yeah, these are Coombs guys now. Oh, They're his it, body type. It's Cameron Martinez. He's five ten, one ninety two. Yeah, and still, I, I think he's probably one of the best athletes in the room. Yeah, so it's like you have to get him because he's a great athlete. I was just looking at them and I'm like, Lathan Ransom, six one, Jordan Hancock, six one. Like it's like they're pro- Ronnie Hickman, six one, Craig Young they're is six three, um, Ryan Watts is six three. Like they're huge. Like every single one of them is huge, and a lot of them, as I'm going through the roster, a lot of them are bigger than the wide receivers that we have, which is also important because you want to be physical. Against these guys, yeah. Jansen Dunn, 6'1", 190. It's crazy. Jalen Johnson, six one two twenty. Like Jesus Christ! Like every single one of the Cam Brown is six foot. Every single one of these dudes is huge. Like you remember when corners used to be like five nine? Yeah, a lot of them five nine, five ten, but they'd run four threes. And now you're yeah. getting guys who are like traditional like safeties and Sam linebackers just playing. 
Corners. So you used to take that's, that body type that's six one corner and just make him an insane linebacker. They'd be like, We're putting twenty five yeah. pounds on you. You're coming in, yeah. you're playing linebacker. Denzel Burke, six one one ninety two. Jake Halen Johnson, six foot one eighty five. Like my they're huge. Okay. Let's let's get off the DBs. I was just, I'm sorry. i I just got like I, I knew it, but it was just shocking to see on the yeah. roster that every single one of these guys is six six, six foot, six one, two oh five. Like I I think, you know, as we talked about it with recruiting, with getting Kerry Coombs back, DB is in a good position. Um, and I think you are white, you are right to uh, have made your prediction that you've made all throughout the summer that the DBs are not are going to be a lot better than they have been. Yeah, I feel um, more confident than ever after you read all that. Yeah, and before we continue moving forward with the show, we just got to take a quick break for our sponsors. Hopefully you guys are enjoying the show and come back. We've got a lot more to talk about today on Buck Off. As always, thank you guys for listening. We're back with some more Buck Off and Minnesota. Minnesota, Minnesota, the Golden Gophers. Uh, I I think a lot of people are calling this an early trap game. I don't think your first game could be a trap game. Mm -mm. Uh, But I do think their roster is pretty talented. They have Tanner Morgan, who was a successful quarterback two years ago. With NFL receivers, uh, they have Muhammad Ibrahim, who's going to make an NFL team very happy one day. Yeah. Uh, their offensive line's good. They return quite a few guys on it, but they're terrible defensively, and I think that showed a lot last year. Let me look at the data right here. They got 30.1 points per game last year. Uh, their total defense was like 123rd ranked in the country. So if I'm an Ohio State fan coming in with a young quarterback, this is a defense I want to go against. Um, listen to this. Um, and I, I shout out to Pick Six Previews. Um, listen to this. Their rushing defense, 102nd. They gave up 207 yards per game. Yards per carry was 6.3, which is 124th. They were 127th in negative play percentage and 117 in explosive rush. You know what that means? We might have two 100 yard rushers. Yeah. And it's, I think this is a great game for a quarterback like C.J. Stroud because most of it's just going to be handing the ball off, letting the amazing offensive line do work. And then the running backs are going to be averaging five, six yards a pop before they even get hit. Yeah, they weren't great um, passing defense, but they didn't give a lot of they didn't give up a lot of yards per game passing. But I think it's because they gave up so much running that so you just rushing. didn't throw against them. Um I think this is the perfect game for Ohio State for a couple of reasons. I think it's perfect because their offense is good enough to test the defense. It's good enough to test the secondary. It's good enough to test some of the new young players. But it's not good enough where you should, like, really be worried that they're going to beat you. Like, this is a game that Ohio State should win on talent. You want them to be dominant. If they win the game on talent, maybe a little concerned. But it shouldn't concern you enough to lose. Um, But also, they're – bad enough on defense. So they're good enough on offense to test the young defense. They're bad enough on defense to get confidence in the running game and in your young quarterback before you play Oregon. Uh, I think this is the perfect game. I think this game is significantly better than them playing Akron first and then playing Oregon. Um, yeah. It's going to be tough, but I you think you want that. You get tested as Ohio State, but – it's a game that you should be able to have a safe cover. The spread's 14 points. You should be able to beat them by more than that. I I think if the – I'd rather have a game that we win like 31 to 17 because that means the defense showed up and the offense was good, you know, not probably not the best in that case. 
Probably uh, close at half. Something like I'd that. I'd rather see with a young quarterback, I'd rather see the defense be absolutely elite tomorrow on Thursday than and the offense be good than the offense be like elite and then the defense be bad because that'll start bringing up bad memories from last year, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah, like, I, agree. I want to see immense improvement from that because I know the offense will grow into itself. I need like four if the or defense five starts sacks. off bad. Yeah, I need I need a dominant it, defensive performance. Yeah, um, and the one thing that I will say uh, it, it's the it's the stupidest thing I've ever seen in my entire life. But Ohio State does not let good running backs have good games against them. Mm-hmm. Ohio State, like literally, and I bring this up all the time when people try to tell me that Saquon Barkley is the best running back in the league, and I disagree. And I, the thing that I always say is Saquon Barkley could never run for 100 yards against Ohio State, and he carried that same trait in the NFL. He does not play good in big games. And yeah. I, use, I bring this up to say Ohio State never lets the good running back run a lot. And I think that is – Good to point out with um, Mo Ibrahim because he is the best running back in the Big Ten, unless Travion Henderson is everything that people say he is. Um, yeah, but then Ohio State will you know let Maryland's running back run for two hundred and seven, so it doesn't make any sense. But I'm not concerned because I think they'll go into the game game planning for Mo Ibrahim, which means. Honestly, he's he's amazing, so I won't say he's not going to get 100 yards, but if he does get 100 yards, it, he'll have to work for it. He's got to earn it, yeah. And I, I will say this. Minnesota runs a very simple run game scheme. It's all zone runs, outside zone mostly, and it really allows our biggest strength on the defensive side, the defensive line, to impact this game. Because I know you play defense. I know you know how to blow up zone running plates. It's interior penetration, which yep. we have. Haskell Garrett, we have Teron Vincent, we have elite interior defense alignment. So uh, watching the spring game, the fastest way that play got beat was through interior penetration. So I think overall the matchup defensively is really favorable because they're very simple offensively. They're going to try to attack deep vertically passing. They're going to take a lot of short screens. They're going to try to get their receivers out in open ground and open space, but Overall, I don't think this is going to be an overcomplicated scheme to prepare for. They just really rely on some of these RPOs, some of these zone plays to turn into big gains. Yeah, the one thing that I will say, uh, and another reason I think that this is the perfect game, is Minnesota is probably going to end with the top three, top four minimum offensive line in the Big Ten this year. Their offensive line is good, and they're returning all of their starters, and they're returning their – Dewan Jones, um, who's actually just better than Dewan Jones because he started as a freshman. They have a six foot nine, four hundred pound offensive lineman who opted out last year. Uh, he's going to the NFL, so um, it's gonna be it's gonna be a good game. It's gonna be tough, but I, I think Minnesota is strong in all the areas that you want to test this new defense and this new team. Um, yeah. If, you know, I mean, he's 6'9", 400 pounds, so he's going to win some. But if Zach Harrison and Tyreek Smith are getting bullied by this offensive line, if, you know, Haskell Garrett is not getting penetration, that's some things that you can't. But if they play really well against this offensive line, this is going to be yeah. one of the better offensive lines that they're going to face. And that that is another thing that's like, OK, like it's time to get you know confident about this defense because Minnesota is good. I think um I think Minnesota is going to 
they're not going to fully return to 2019, but they're not going to be last year's Minnesota either. Yeah, I think when you look at the games last year, uh, they got blown out twice, and then the rest of their games were one-score games. So they could have easily, just as easily been five and two as they were three and four, or they could have easily been a one in, or a one and seven team last year. You know, so it's kind of crazy if you think about the flip of a coin they were last year. Um, I think two things to note: uh, they did lose a lot of NFL caliber defenders the previous season. So Joe Rossi having to replace that in the off season is going to be tough for him. And then on top of that, they had a coordinator switch because Kirk Soraka went to Penn state. He got fired. And then now they have Mike Sanford jr. In year two, fully comfortable uh, calling the plays. You got Tanner Morgan with them and you've got a group of guys on the, in the receiving room in the backfield that have depth. They have experience. They've made big plays. So I, I think overall, if Ohio State shows up, this game is a three-touchdown win. If they don't show up, they're going to be cutting their teeth and in a tight game at the end. Yeah, uh, this is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard. Um, they are returning 99% of their pass yards, 99% of their rush yards, 63% of their uh, receiving yards, 100% of their O-line starts. 96% of their tackles, 100% of their TFLs, sacks, and interceptions. They're bringing back everyone. Everybody. Anyone who mattered to them except a wide receiver. Yeah, and Rashad Bateman was halfway in last year. So. So, yeah, yeah and I, I think mean, looking at it, yes, they're returning everybody, and on paper that sounds scary, but they did give up 30 points per game last year, and they did only score 27 points per game last year. So it's like a give and take there. What team is this going to be? Is it going to be the teams that showed up and scored 45 or is it going to be the teams that lost by 30? Yeah, I think it's going to be in the middle. Um, you know, if anyone who on here who doesn't listen to the I-70 show, I predicted them to go seven and five. But I think they're going to be a better seven and five. The reason why I have them going seven and five is they have to play Ohio State, Iowa, Indiana and Wisconsin and Northwestern. They may beat Northwestern. Um, I'm a little higher on Northwestern than well, actually. Yeah, I'm a little higher on Northwestern than some people are. But either way, those are the best teams in the Big Ten they have to face. Like they don't get any like they're not getting their crossover games are hard. They got Ohio State and Indiana in crossover. That's unfair. Yeah, it's unfortunate for them. But uh, like we said, I think this is a year where Minnesota we're really going to learn about P.J. Fleck. We're really going to learn about this squad. And, you know, no team wants turnover year over year. I know P.J. Flex has been tied to a lot of bigger jobs, but I think Minnesota is a good home for him. Uh, I, I just think – I just don't think Tanner Morgan's the guy who can get this done. And that's I the biggest think, issue. I, I think that's the biggest issue is Tanner Morgan's a limited passer. I, I think he's a limited athlete. Uh, one of the things I was reading from are – uh, Minnesota counterpart, uh, SB Nation, I think the Gopher Dailies, what they're called. Uh, they were talking about how Tanner Morgan, uh, he's, 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 he's just a guy. That's pretty much the, the thought on him. Like, yes, he's good. He can do a lot of things, but he's just a guy. And they want to run more. They want to do a lot more quarterback runs just to kind of keep everyone honest from Mo, Mo Ibrahim. But I just don't see it working out as much as they'd want it to. 
especially when they don't have Minnesota oddly had a lot of NFL talent. I mean, Tyler Johnson, that's Minnesota, right? He's in the league. Rashad Bateman's in the league. Um, Antoine Winfield Jr. is in the league. Yeah, they have Uh, a couple linebackers from those good teams that are in the league. So I, I think, you know, it's not good enough to beat Ohio State. Um, but they do have an awesome offensive line. They have a running back that's going to keep them in some games, but they don't really have wide receivers anymore because they lost two pro wide receivers. And for most programs, not Ohio State, Clemson, Alabama, and Oklahoma, you don't bounce back from losing two wide receivers in back-to-back years to the NFL, and they just don't yeah. have the quarterback. Yeah, and I think I, I think that's kind of a good way to put it. I, I think that's a good way to wrap this up. Uh, we're we're gonna be with you guys on Thursday for game day. That's when our next episode is gonna release after this one. So it's gonna be all Minnesota. It's gonna be our full scouting report. Uh, we're gonna be going way more in depth than we currently are. Uh, we're gonna be talking about the weekend as well. But yeah, um, there was some. Uh, we've talked about this. We already talked about this next subject. We talked about it before everybody else talked about it, and. Uh, we were pretty on point with what this alliance is going to be. Uh, if you guys didn't watch the press conference yesterday, a quick recap. Uh, George Kliakoff, Jim Phillips, and uh, Kevin Warren uh, held the joint press conference representing the three conferences they are commissioners for and discussed a future alliance for multiple things. But in reality, it was all just hoopla for nothing. Which most press conferences are. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, Jordan, you can lead us off here. Uh, I know we talked about the money aspect. I know the other thing they emphasized a lot was the academic institutions and the pledge to maintain the collegiate model. Uh, to me, uh, I feel like this was 100% a – it was it was 100% because the SEC went and stabbed the other power conferences in the back and – took uh kind of went rogue on them. so that's kind of where i'm at with it i think this we're not going to learn much about this right now i think that's all still in the early framework but moving forward i just kind of want to uh, feel how you felt about yesterday or tuesday um, when we're recording as far as the press conference it was what i expected a bunch of nothing um the one thing that was interesting to me is the the emphasis on it being a gentleman's agreement and how they looked at each other in the eyes as a man and as men. Cause that kind of made me uncomfortable, honestly. And agree to it. Um, I think it's I think it's probably a little bit better with a contract, right? But I think you know. They, ju- I, th- I think they felt they just had to do something. And really, yeah. the press conference was announcing the alliance. That's it. Um, they didn't have all the details. They kind of could tell you what their hopes and stuff were. Um, but I think th- we won't feel the impact of this until later. Um, one thing I will say is this is going to have a very big um impact on what happens with the playoffs and if other TV partners get involved. Because honestly, I don't think the SEC cares about that. Because I I, I think the SEC is more focused on winning, which is fine, right? They they want to win championships. They want to get into the playoffs. The money is nice, but with their new money from ESPN, I genuinely don't 
and I don't have, I guess I don't have a real reason to believe this, but I genuinely don't believe the SEC cares about the inner workings as long as the dollar figure reaches what level they want and they get a chance to win championships. But I think these three conferences do care more about which TV partners are involved in understanding the business of how much money that they can make. I think these three guys, for better or worse, especially Kevin Warren and um, Klyovkov, they're businessmen first, um, where, you know, the SEC commissioner is more, not that he's not a businessman, but he's more entrenched in college football. And I, I think this alliance and some of the things that they're saying is more looking at this as a business um, and fair market and all of that kind of stuff. And also, it's the where are these schools at, right? They're on the East Coast, they're in the Midwest, and on the West Coast. They're a little uppity. As someone that's from Ohio, like we, you hear the Big Ten and, and the Pac-12, and they talk about academic excellence and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And I also think that stuff matters more. I mean, we talked about it a lot. The Big Ten is most likely not going to bring in any new teams who are not in the uh, AAU um, because they care about that academics piece. So I think it aligns. Um, I don't think we're going to really understand the impact of it now. We may never fully understand the impact of it, but as long as we get good games um, and they stand up to the SEC, with some of the things that they try to do with like the playoff and some stuff like that, I think it's fine. Yeah. And I, I think, I think you made a lot of good points. I, I think this was a very unprepared press conference. I think we talked about it. I think they all had the points they wanted to make for their conference when they came into the press conference. Uh, one thing I have been very heavy handed on when it comes to this is the TV money. Uh, this is about financial gain in a lot of ways, even though they wouldn't admit it. Uh, I think the idea of this is to come into TV negotiations with a higher ability to negotiate, saying, hey, we're going to have Ohio State versus USC. We're going to have Ohio State versus Clemson. We could get these games scheduled. Yes, we're going to remove a conference game, but we're going to be able to replace it with something even better. It's going to give you coast-to-coast TV market benefits. You're going to be able to get your televisions into extra – you're going to be able to get your subscriptions into extra homes because you're going to have an Ohio State versus Washington, say, you know. So uh, expanding the global reach, or I guess maybe not global reach, but the national reach of each conference is a high priority. I know they talked a lot about consistent scheduling opportunities and new scheduling opportunities – uh, I'm excited to see what they come up with. I know we've got the Big Ten and ACC Challenge. We've got quite a few things already established like that. So opportunities already there. These conferences already work together regularly. So outside of just making it a formal group thing, which I think was a direct combatant to what the SEC did, uh, I think they just wanted to take control of what they want the future of college sports to look like. Uh and I think that's a huge aspect of it. I think they want to set the tone for what they see coming forward, financially, uh, academically, Olympic sports-wise. And I think we're we're on the same page there. And honestly, I think they needed to do that because 
you know, college football is changing and there needs to be some consistency and there needs to be some agreement. And we weren't going to have that because the NCAA doesn't do anything. So it's like the SEC went rogue. And then everyone, if everyone else went rogue, there was going to really be no future. Like essentially the NCAA is going to mean nothing and they have to create their own governance, which is already kind of what they did with the autonomy five and things like that. But it was shown very clearly through the SEC's actions that they weren't all on the same page. Um, and so I think this is important for that because there needs to be shared governance, right? Like they need in the future for these, like, I mean, they petitioned for the change of the playoffs. It wasn't really until all the power five petitioned for it, that we got the transfer rule and, and things like that. And, um, these schools deciding about the sky, like there's a lot of things, most things, honestly, that happen in college football start with those five conferences because they have different expectations. Like, you know, in the NCAA, there is significantly more schools at the division two, three, and all these other levels that they can't correctly govern division one power five often because they deal with different things. So I think that is an important thing that people are kind of forgetting because they're looking at like the immediate and things like that. This is for really the higher level things as well. Um, and to have some kind of shared governance and, and even if they don't agree on everything, cause they're not going to agree on everything. I also think this was an agreement that they're going to talk about everything and that they're going to not just make rash decisions um, one thing that I was just kind of, I just kind of saw on Twitter, um, Stuart Mandel posted, um, a picture of someone else's quote. And I guess Greg Sankey, um, in one of his interviews about the Alliance, he said, one of the more curious statements was the ability to talk to TV partners about reducing conference games and providing more compelling matchups through the Alliance. The great thing about the SEC is every week's a compelling matchup yeah. when we're playing conference matchups. That's not true. It's, it's just not. not. It's, it's two things, and I know I know you're going to have. So it's very regional, and outside of people in the SEC, there are a lot of bad teams in the SEC. Who wants to watch Tennessee-Arkansas? I don't. Who, Who wants want- to watch Arkansas-Vanderbilt? Who wants to watch? Like I personally, I like watching Kentucky, um, but most years Kentucky's not interesting. Who wants to watch Kentucky, South Carolina? Who wants to watch Kentucky, Vanderbilt? Who wants to watch anybody versus Vanderbilt? Who wants to watch anybody versus South Carolina? Who not wants me. to watch anyone versus Alabama? And I say this as an Ohio State fan because I know multiple people who don't want to watch Ohio State games because they're all blown out. So what games are you watching? Are you watching LSU? You watching Florida? You watching Georgia? Like the SEC games are not that good. Yeah, when you go and you have a game against Oregon, when you have a game in the South as Ohio State. It's compelling television because it's not just football teams versus football teams. And I know it's hard for a lot of pro sports to ever understand this, but the colleges represent the states they're in. They represent the region that they are in. They represent more than just the football team going out there. They represent a school and alumni base. When you have two alumni, like when Ohio State plays USC, that is a lot of people with angst towards each other who want to say – we're better than you. And what's the best way to do that? It is on an athletic field. Yeah. And as far as a pure football product, 
pure football product, like just watching games. In my opinion, the two best conferences to watch is the Pac-12 and the AAC. The reason this is, is because they're all most they're they're pretty even, especially the Pac-12 and the games are very entertaining. The Pac-12 is so even they cannibalize each other, which is why they're never in the playoffs. And anyone who's not like us, who doesn't stay up to watch Pac-12 after dark, doesn't realize that Arizona State is good, doesn't realize, you know, that Washington and Utah is good because you don't get to see them play, which is why the Pac-12 is joining this alliance because they want to get some more games against Ohio State and Clemson and all these other teams. One, to show that they can hang on the field and two, to get a a noon Eastern game instead of a midnight, a 9 p.m. Eastern game. But straight straight football product, just watching the game, Pac-12 games are great to watch. AAC games are great to watch. They have more equal spread between their teams. SEC games are not fun to watch. There's a lot of Big Ten games that's not fun to watch. And the ACC is miserable because they all suck. Outside of Clemson, like they're terrible. And it's really really just a case of the SEC just kind of over-evaluating themselves. Yes, they have Alabama, and yes, they've won all these national championships. But outside of Alabama, like show me, show me the consistently successful program. LSU's your second most successful program over the last decade. They're terrible yeah. half the time. They're a flash in the pan program. Oh, Florida, you mean nine and three? Dan Mullen in Florida almost every single year routinely. They're one of the best teams in the country. Oh, it's because the SEC schedule is so tough. I'm like, South Carolina, Vanderbilt, Kentucky, the list goes on. Oh, Ole Miss, Lane Kiffin, Tennessee, yeah, they're going to be like, better. Mississippi State. Mississippi State. Auburn. Like, it doesn't. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, one, no one in the Big Ten is scared of Auburn. No, Penn State is going to blow out Auburn if we're being honest. I think, I, I think they're going to beat them. I, I do. And. The best part is, is whenever the SEC loses to other conferences, it's a down year. Whenever they win against every conference, they are supposed to do that. They're the superior college football conference, which just isn't the case. They have the superior dynasty in the sport right now. And then after that, they got Cam Newton one year. Luck, if we're being honest. We gave them Joe Burrow. We gave them Joe Burrow. Luck. Uh LSU, the first time they beat us, Urban Meyer, one of the best coaches of all time. Uh, okay, great. He had a with, dynasty. With, if we're being honest, a roster of players who shouldn't have been in college football. Like, there's yeah. literally a study on how many of those players, like, and I hate, to, like, this is not a, I don't know how to say this and not make it sound bad. It's just bad. There's a study on how many of those players that are in jail. There's literally talk about like they would go and have shootouts after practice and stuff like that. Like multiple players on that team have been arrested for murder. Like that. There's a reason Urban Meyer left. And there's a reason Florida was not good when he left. He 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 sold his soul for a national championship and he got it. Yeah. Which is which is kind of hilarious in the fact that the face of that team was Tim Tebow who's like the holiest person in the world and then like half the other team was like literally criminals and I hate using that phrase but like they actually were because they have criminal charges and are in jail since they left Florida and I think it's cyclical it's the South does have the largest influx of football talent so it should be easier for them to win but a lot of their teams are still really, really bad. Yeah. And, and honestly, their biggest thing is football is a college football is a regional sport. 
And they're trying to take the regional belief of the SEC and make it national. But it's like people in New York don't care about the SEC. Yeah. They're not touting. They're not chest pounding. They're not yelling SEC, you know. Like no one at Rutgers is like, yeah, Big Ten, let's go. Because no one cares that way here. It's about the TV money. It's about being in an elite conference. And it's about having the opportunity to play great football games. And that's what I think the alliance is going to provide. And we're not going to get to see a lot of that for the next five years or so because of all the existing contracts. But soon, uh, I think we're going to start seeing the yeah. fingerprints of this. I, th- I think so, too. And honestly, there's a reason why the Big Ten makes more money than the SEC and why the Big Ten's the second best conference. It's because the Midwest, like the true Big Ten teams, like take away like maybe Nebraska and you take away like Rutgers and Maryland, the heart of the Big Ten team. The Midwest loves football almost just as much as the South. I just think they spend a little less money on it. Um, But, like, everyone talks about the million-dollar stadiums in the South. Have you – if you want to see a big stadium, come to Maslin Stadium. Their stadium is so big that they have Nike events there. They have combines. They they, Like, it's a high school that literally has an indoor facility, which some colleges don't have. So – it's the unbelievable, honestly. cares about football just as much as the South. The East and the West do not, which is, you know, some of the, the failures of those conference. And the Big Ten is essentially giving a helping hand because they seem to care about college football as a whole, where the yeah. SEC can't stop looking at themselves in the mirror and flexing. Like, the SEC is that big guy at the gym that, like, just looks at themselves in the mirror and, like, grabs the biggest weight, makes, a you know, a whole bunch of noise, and expects everyone to care about the fact that they just got a personal record when everyone else is in the gym trying to do their own thing. Yeah, and overall, I, I guess uh, college football is always cyclical. You know, the Pac-12 was dominant, for, or Pac-10 at the time was dominant. And uh, the Big Ten's had dominant years. You know, you look at the 10-year war with Bo Schembechler, with Woody Hayes. Like, uh, yeah, Bear Bryant, back in the, the South, used to be elite then. But yeah. mm-hmm. football started in the Northeast, where is the Northeast at now? Exactly. It it rotates around. And I, I look at the level of coaching in the Big Ten. I look at the high-end coaches the Big Ten has and compare them to the coaches in the SEC. I would take nine – outside of Nick Saban here, I would take eight or nine coaches in the Big Ten before I take an SEC coach. Yeah, there's a decent amount of them. Um, and a lot of SEC coaches get fired for scandals and things like that for a reason. And I'm glad you mentioned coaching because that was going to be my next point. Some of these schools that the SEC swears doesn't care about football are literally one good coach away from being good again. USC is like one adult in the room away from being good again. All they have to do is recruit Los Angeles and they just can't do it. Because they can't again. hire a coach. If, it's if, it's Clay if, Hilton. It's all him. It, he's good. He's a good guy, but he's not winning you national championships. No, but USC is a good coach away. Someone who who is intelligent. Someone like I'm gonna just. We, we talked about Big Ten coaches. James Franklin is winning a, a championship at USC. Tom Allen's winning a championship at USC. Urban Meyer, Ryan Day, championship. Paul Christ. Maybe not his offense, but him as a person and the belief that he could hire people, like he could hire the right people, could win a championship. Um, 
I'm not going to say Jim Harbaugh is going to win one. No, um, he, he had his chance in the Pac-12. I'm no, not going to say Greg Shaw. Either way, like you could go on and on. P.J. Fleck is going to make them better. Matt Campbell is going to make them better. Like, well, Matt Campbell's not in the Big Ten, but he's about but, to be, you know, so. I get what you're saying, though. <laughs> yeah. So it, it's really like there are sleeping giants on the West Coast. There are teams in the Midwest, Ohio State, Notre Dame, who are like – just like, you know, Brian Kelly's a really good football coach. He, he just is. needs to continue to recruit at the level he is and then get a few more of these blue chippers and they could be a national championship contender. They, and they really should be like they're they're there. Like, I, I think because of Alabama, people forget how hard it is to win a national championship. But the fact that Notre Dame, except again this year, I don't think they're going to be this good this year. But the fact that Notre Dame is almost guaranteed to win somewhere between ten and twelve games, and every other year is going to make it to the playoff, that is great. That is yeah. one of the best programs, one of the best teams in the country. Yeah, and I think one thing that the world misses out on with this Alabama thing. This has happened twice in the sport, and both times it's been at Alabama where they've had coaches that have won five to six national titles in their tenure. Bear Bryant and Nick Saban, the two greatest football coaches to ever coach the sport uh, from a winning standpoint, from a national championship standpoint. It's very rare it happens anywhere else that way. Uh, and, and here's the thing that people forget. So Sorry to interrupt you. If Nick Saban retires, who takes his place? It's yeah, most likely Ohio State. Like this power in the SEC is it's gone when when Nick Saban Nick retires. Saban. Because what's either gonna happen is there's going to be another dynasty somewhere else, and it's not gonna be from the SEC, or there's no. not gonna be a dynasty and everyone starts winning. And Ohio State starts winning, Georgia starts winning, Miami, USC, Oregon, all these other kind of places get a bite at the cake. But it's Plus, not gonna I be this SEC dominance. Once Alabama loses the elite recruiter that is Nick Saban, the rest of the conference is going to start cannibalizing Southern recruiting. So there's not going to be one team taking all the best Southern players anymore. They're going to all be like, hey, Nick Saban's not there anymore. Why would you go there? Because there's to nothing in Alabama. And yeah. Nick Saban, this is a negative. It, this is a neg- it, it worked. Nick Saban does not have a Ryan Day or a Lincoln Riley, meaning he doesn't have someone who's been with him all this time who you can trust to take over that program and keep it running. You're going to give it to Bill O'Brien? You're going to give it to Lane Kiffin? Like, yeah, zero Mark Rich? Chance. Like, who are you get? Who is. Kirby Smart, but it's not leaving Georgia. No, not to go to Al- not to start over at Alabama. Like, there's no point in it. So, yeah, I think overall uh, we could talk about the SEC and the Big Ten comparisons all day. But I, I guess at the end of the day, the alliance is just shifting the power dynamic back to the rest of the college football landscape would probably be the best way to put what that press conference's goal was. Yeah, it's shared governance. It's looking at all of college football and it's a, a it's an agreement, which, again, I think would be better with the contract, but it's an agreement essentially to look out for everyone. Maybe not yeah. everyone because they don't give a crap about the Big 12, but it's an agreement to look at yeah. look out for each other and not just make decisions based, uh, you know, solely on selfishness because the Big Ten could have been selfish and maybe they don't pick up the phone, but they could have called UNC. They could have called Miami like they could have called Oregon, Washington, all everyone. They could have went for it. 
we had an episode where we talked about all the teams in these places who have AAU membership and could have called and instead they decided for shared governance, which overall is best for the NCAA. It's best for college yeah. football. Yeah, and in the words of Kevin Warren, the Big 12, they'll do what's best for themselves. They'll be fine. They'll figure it out. And if they'll figure and, it out. And if they have any adults in the room, they're going to call Cincinnati. They're going to call UCF. They're going to call Boise. They're going to call BYU, SMU, Houston. They're going to call all these programs. They're going to get the 12 to 14 teams, and they're going to have it. It may be a smaller seat, but they're going to keep their seat at the table. Yeah. uh, I have learned today that they are not going to call Houston, though, because the Tita for – for Till- Tillman Fertitta uh, burned that bridge like six years ago. They just need to get rid of him. <laughs> I, uh, they're going to call – literally, they're going to call every school in Texas that's not like, in, that's not uh, in Texas and not call Houston. Honestly, I'm not sure that that's going to happen only because they may not want to call. But, like, this gets, like, really political. And, and all of the, like um, – all of the like hearings and stuff that they were having with like the Big Twelve and stuff like that, a lot of people in Texas government went to Houston. Um, they're gonna Texas as a state is going to throw a fit if they offer SMU, Texas Tech, or Tool, whatever other Texas programs are not in the um, the in a Power Five league, and then don't call Houston. As much yeah. as everyone hates Tillman Fertitta because he's ruining the University of Houston and he's ruining the Houston Rockets. They have to, I, I just don't see how they don't call Houston. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I mean, that's, uh, I mean, I guess in the words of Kevin Warren, that's not our problem. Uh, <laughs> They'll figure uh, it out. They're smart. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, yeah. I guess to close out the show, we got two more things. I guess we both just kind of wanted to shout out the captains. This will be quick. Uh, Thayer Munford, Chris Olave, Haskell Garrett, Cam Babb, Taraja Mitchell, Zach Harrison. I'm excited for all six of these guys. They've all had different stories. Uh, they've all earned it, and I, I'm excited. I, I think they all provide something different that you'd want from your captains. Yeah. And I, I think that's the best way to put it. I, I'm happy for Cam Babb specifically. He'd be the one guy because his road, it, it, I mean, dude, I, I've had a shoulder surgery. I've never had a lower extremity injury, but – I mean, just coming back from a surgery is one of the toughest things to do and to do it multiple times. Like, I just want to take that minute to really congratulate him on that honor because he could have quit. He could have folded, but he's still grinding it out. Uh, I don't know how much he sees the field this year, but give me a lot of C.J. Saunders vibes with sort of the leadership in the room. And uh, as a reminder, captains are voted on by the players, not the coaches. So the players obviously respect him enough that even if he doesn't see the field, he's a captain and he's important to the team. And I think that means everything to him, his family, to Ohio State. Um, These are the kind of things that like these are the kind of things that make you feel good about Ohio State. And these are the kind of things in my eyes that kind of separate Ohio State from the Clemsons and the Alabamas and the LSUs and stuff, it feels like even though this is big business and it's the top of the top, it feels like they're human still. Like Alabama feels like a machine. Stories like this makes it like, okay, Ohio State, you know, they probably got some bag men. There's probably some things underneath that that you don't want to see, but they're human and and they still care about these players. And, um, you know, there's still, you know, decency in the program. 
Yeah, and I mean, all all six of the guys, as you said, voted on by the players. That means the the players think they deserve it. I think they deserve it. Uh, couldn't be happier for these six guys. And I'm excited. I think all all these guys should have big years in store for themselves. Uh, and that takes me into the last topic. We have done this three times this offseason because it's fun. It is fun to do bold predictions. And uh, historically, Mayan and Jordans have been pretty bold. So I guess the last bold prediction, the one you want on your uh, fan tombstone if the year comes to an end and burns to the ground, what prediction are you going to live with before we close this show out? I mean, there's not a bolder prediction than Ohio State's winning the national championship, and I'm sticking with that one. But for the the point of the show of having a different one, um, my bold prediction is that uh, C.J. Stroud finishes top three in Heisman voting. And I think he has a chance of winning it, but I think he's going to be really good. I think he's going to be special. Uh, top three Heisman voting. He will be in New York on the stage uh, with all the hoopla this year, not next year, this year. That's my, that is my bold prediction going into 2021. I think that's a really good prediction. I know every year there's a quarterback who kind of surprises the country and gets the invite to New York. And I'd love for it to be CJ Stroud. So I am going to ride that prediction with you. I, I too, think C.J. Stroud will be invited to New York for the Heisman ceremony. But my bold prediction, and I know I've been called crazy for this at least 15 times this offseason. I've counted. I think the defensive backs and the Ohio State defense is going to return to form. I think they're going to be a top 25 pass defenses next year. I think they're going to be a top 25 total defense. But I think they're going to be a top 25 pass defense. I think we are going to see an elite secondary. And I'm going to be honest, with how bad it was last year, if they get into the top 50, I'll be ecstatic. But I'm going with top 25 because, like we said, they're bold predictions. And uh, I guess your bold one for the team was a national championship. Uh, I am looking at my old one. Uh, I don't think they lose a conference game in 2021, which will get us to a national championship. I don't think the streak ends. There we go. We're, so we're high on the Buckeyes. You can call us homers, but if anyone, uh, first of all, I don't think anyone at Land Grant Holy Land is a homer. I think we really take our time and really look at this. But me and Chris specifically, we we we've really broke this down. And if you followed us all, if you followed us all summer and the off season, I think you understand why we feel this way. Um, because we've talked about the goods and the bads of the roster. We've talked about the holes and the negatives. This is not, you know, fanfare. Uh, genuinely, I think we have real concrete reasons for our predictions, even though they are bold. Uh, and surprise, surprise, Ohio State's going to be really good this year. Yeah, and I think one thing I want to add to that is. Me and you have been tough on specific players. We've been tough on the team as a whole at parts where we think they might struggle. And, you know, to win a national championship uh, as uh, broadcasters, I guess we could call ourselves, uh, you need to be tough on teams. Uh, You can't let them get complacent. So we're going to be tough on them. And uh, I guess at the end of the day, we're we're a bold show. Uh, Listen to the name. It's Buck Off. Like, come on, guys. Like, you know what you're here for. And obviously – um, this offseason has been great. Uh, I know me and Jordan have really had a lot of fun with these offseason topics, but next week, guys, I hope you join us game day Thursday because we will be bringing you the tailgate show. We are going to be tailgating with you. You guys can throw us in your ears on the way to the game. 
I don't know how long it's going to be. We'll probably keep it just to game day analysis. But uh, overall, uh, I know Jordan's excited. We're going to be talking ball 100% next week. None of this theoretical stuff. It's ball. It's football season. That is it. Um, And as we wrap up, make sure you follow us on Friday. Make sure you listen to our recap on Sunday or Saturday. Next week's different. Yeah. Next week is next week is going to be on Friday, but throughout the season, make sure you listen to us on Friday, Friday. Thursday next week. Make sure you listen to our recap immediately after the game and then make sure to read Chris's stories that are coming, his previews and recaps. I'm doing a recap for the entire Big Ten on Sundays and then the I-70s football show. We are bringing you a lot of content. And that's just yeah. between me and Chris. The Land Grant yeah. Holy Land podcast articles, it's gonna be it's gonna be crazy. It's going crazy. You it's going crazy for sure. Make sure you're you're following along. Uh we're gonna take a lot of your free time. There's gonna be so many good things out there. Uh it's gonna be a fun season. Yeah, and uh, last thing before we get into our show, we're we're having fun. We're gonna be having fun the whole year. I know a lot of these other podcasts get straight down to business. Uh we're gonna be having fun. It's football season. This is what we love, this is why we do it. Uh, so yeah, I mean, uh, Jordan, where can we find you online and where can we find your content out elsewhere? Uh, so you can find me, uh, Jordan W three, three, zero. Um, we don't have a pod, we don't have a podcast page and I probably won't make one. Um, but you can follow the I 70 football show. Um, and as I mentioned, I will be doing a weekly article, um, for land grant, Holy land. It won't be this next week. It'll be the Sunday after week one uh, that it'll start coming out. So you can find me on the website, follow me on Twitter at Jordan W three, three zero. And again, listen to me on book off instant recap and the I 70 football show. Yeah. And for me, you guys can find me on Twitter at Chris Rennie CFB. Uh, That's where I do all my business stuff. Uh, And then you can find me talking all that jazz at book off pod for the podcast page, because that's where I love to, uh, in terms of Reddit shit post and troll other fan bases, uh, it's fun. It's been a good time. And now we're getting into real football. So uh, you're going to be able to find me on this show every Friday during the season, uh, except next week, as we said, Thursday. And then after every single game, we're going to be doing an instant recap. I'm doing pregame scouting analysis of opposing teams. Uh, so that'll be out on Tuesdays. And lastly, every Monday after the game, I will be writing a follow-up film breakdown of Ohio State versus their opponent. So get excited for that. And that's just honestly, I mean, we make up, what, 5% of the feed? If that, 10% maybe. Max. So I don't uh, I think it's closer to five. Yeah, and that means you guys are going to have so much content from us. It's all free. There's no paywalls. Uh, you might get a lot of ads, but it's better than paying. That's what I've learned. And we get, we get, we get, we give plenty of information anyways. So, Uh, We'll catch you guys next week. Uh, See you guys next Thursday. Uh, Have a good one. And it's game week officially. Go Bucks.